This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. The galaxies we hear, Hello and welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski, and oh, it's been a minute. I apologize for the delay in dropping an episode. It just has been a minute. And um, so in doing those episodes with Danielle, Carrie, and Brianne, really talking more about the book and getting some feedback from great listeners, great readers, I thought what I might do over the next several weeks is do some short episodes taking you through the book. Several folks have been either using the book in groups, in their place of work, um, with their students, alone, and some of the feedback has been around you know, this interest in, you know, I don't know, a, a guidebook or a resource book of some sort to, to walk people through the book as they read it to give them things to do. And others have commented that they would like more examples of what I mean when I'm talking about transitions and the framework in terms of practice versus performance. And so, so many things, so many things. And, you know, I think like everything we write and do and, and try out, we recognize at the end of that thing or, or midway through um, that there's more work to be done. There's improvements to be made. There's clarifications to offer. And like I always tell my students as they're working on their doctoral work, assignments, even as you turn something in and, and you know, it is, it is checked or marked as finished, these things are never finished. We are all a work in progress. And that is the, I think that's the fun of the work. And as long as we remain curious and ask another question, we move on and we grow and change and and perhaps get a different perspective and some new knowledge around the things we do. And so in the interest of learning and in the celebration of things that I have figured out in this journey of writing a book, I thought I would do just a couple of episodes on the book itself. And I don't know, like everything I do will... We'll give it a whirl and see how it goes. And I'm hoping right now I'm planning for, I don't know, maybe five or six episodes. But, you know, that could change as we go. I'm sure you've, you've recognized, unlike the fall, the spring has been much less structured. And I think part of it is just that continued fatigue from the pandemic. I think part of it is just sort of feeling our way through and figuring out sort of what's next for the podcast. And also, 
I think, you know, in the back of my mind, there's also a part of me that's giving me and folks who have really been instrumental in this uh, podcast, giving us a break, you know, a pseudo break. I don't want to completely check out because I know what happens. Just like when you take a break from exercise or doing the things you love, those hobbies, those habits, sometimes it's it's easy not to do it and harder to start it up again. So I don't want to lose the stride and the momentum that we have. I love, you know, being with our listeners and hearing from our listeners. So I want to offer some content, but it might be on the lighter side for the next few months. So, all right. So going to start from the beginning because that felt like, um, I don't know, that felt like a good place to start. And so the book, Dancing with Discomfort, um, noticing naming and navigating those in-between moments really is, it's about a lot of things. I mean, my viewpoint and perspective at the start of the book was around transitions. And so when I pitched the book, it was this idea that, you know, in my humble experiences, I had been noticing for our graduate students, particularly my doctoral students, that moving from not being in school to being in school, it's a transition. And, and, and you know, with your professional identity well in hand and your personal understanding of yourself well in hand, entering a space that perhaps you hadn't been in in a while, had never been in, it really is a, a slight tremor <laughs> to your to your identity and to your space. And I noticed, and one of the reasons I started engaging in things like onboarding and personal development and focusing on the student as a person, right? The learner, not just the learning. Um, I just noticed that we really needed to attend to all those feelings that that students and folks carry as they, you know, go through change and transitions. And so that's where the book started for me. As I dug into the research, to be honest, I realized more and more how universal these transitions are, partly from my own experiences and paying more attention and partly just from reading, you know, the great works of William Bridges and Victor Turner and Schlossberg and others who talk about transitions as universal. Um, in, in the simplest form, a transition are those expected milestones that I talk about in the book. So, you know, um, graduating from kindergarten, going to kindergarten, graduating from high school, perhaps going to college, trade school, entering a profession, maybe getting married, maybe having kids, starting a new job, moving to a new location, retirement. Those are sort of the the typical, right? The usual sort of ebbs and flows of life. And those are all transitions. Then we have things that are unexpected transitions. So perhaps you decide to, you know, bring someone into your family that, you know, because of circumstances you decided to do and, and weren't expecting. Maybe you are approached about a job that you hadn't anticipated because things were going so well where you were. That could be unexpected. Maybe a move. Maybe the simple, the smaller things like, you know, you find a kitten and you decide to bring that kitten into your home. So, gosh, transitions take all shapes and sizes lengths. They can be short-lived. They can go on for several years. Um, they, they just take a multitude of forms. And so while my view and my starting point for this book was around, you know, my doctoral students and their transition into an online doctoral program, 
as as is often the case, the more you the more you you know investigate something, and the more you think the you know, the more questions you have, and these things are just really universal. So I want to start from the beginning, and in the book I talk about change and transitions because oftentimes we do use these words as synonyms, um, and it makes sense, right? A transition does represent some sort of mark of change that you're you're sort of going through. And, and William Bridges defines change as a situation or an external experience, right? Something is being altered externally. Um, now, if you read, you know, more and more on change and transitions, you have folks like Victor Turner who started his research on um, communities and looking at their sort of customs around rites of passage and milestones. And he noticed when he talked about transitions, he talked about this idea of adaptation to change. And his phrase for transition was this idea of being betwixt and between, right? You're sort of in between moments. And that's where part of the the book title came from. And there's lots of metaphors out there for transition. Some call it um, uh, the neutral zone, right? So this sort of, you're not, you're not in the previous experience and you're not wholly into this new experience. So you're in this, in this neutral zone. I didn't love the idea of neutral zone and I talk a little bit more about it in the book. It's just because it didn't resonate with me. It's not wrong or right. It's just sort of what metaphor makes sense to you. And for me, funny, and I, and I talk about this in the book, my son, our oldest son, was into those hoverboards. And one day in the middle of writing the book, I was outside and he was riding his hoverboard and I thought, hmm, hoverboard, hovering that kind of felt closer to a transition sort of state because to me hovering was a little bit of waxing and waning and and more of the Victor Turner betwixt and between. Some days you're a little bit more into the change, right? Whether it's mentally or physically or spiritually and other days not so much. Maybe you're yearning for the old. And if you have read the book or know the the story of the movie from the Karate Kid, where Daniel and his mom relocate, right? He was physically in this new place in California. I can't remember the town if they were in Oakland or LA. I can't remember, but it doesn't really matter. But he had moved from Jersey, New Jersey, the East Coast to the West Coast. So for me, his hovering, his transition was his body, his stuff, his person was attending school and living in an apartment in California. But some of his heart and his mind was back in New Jersey. And and part of the struggle of the transition is that betwixt and between, right? You're, You're sort of drawn Um, to those places where you were wondering, you know, should I go back there? Should I move forward? What does this look like? So, so while change for me marks that moment of external experience, right? It's a shift, some kind of immediate shift. Um, And I think the Nagowski sisters might call it the stretch the stressor, right? If we're talking about stress and stressor. So this, this moment, this experience, this event that creates some altering experience and the transition, right? The, the feelings you have, the, 
the mental, the mental and spiritual and emotional spaces that you occupy during that transition, well, it's not immediate. Um, and it's not, it's dynamic. I'm not going to say what it not is. It's dynamic. And what I mean by that is, all right, so let's take an example. I was trying to think of something that's more universal. And so for me personally, what came up was remembering the process of applying to college and eventually going to college. And, and I will wholly acknowledge that this story will not resonate with everybody because college isn't for everybody. We all have our own path. And so as you listen to this story, if, if college isn't isn't a destination for you, well, replace it with something that is, you know, as I said, a, a profession, a trip, um, a vocational school, whatever it looks like, family, whatever that looks like for you, that next step. Um, but for me, I thought maybe telling the story of my personal experience of applying to and going to college might give you a little sense of this notion of transitions and change and this adapt adaptation to change um, being a transition. So, you know, imagining applying to colleges. So in your junior or senior year, you're looking, you're visiting. My dad and I went and visited many colleges, talked to many people. I, I wanted to play field hockey. So not only was I looking at academics, I was talking to coaches and players and, and filling out applications. And some applica some days during this sort of transition, I was in a joyous state where I was really excited about the possibilities of going to a school. And in other days, I was tired and frustrated, couldn't think of another thing to write in a personal statement to a college that I wasn't sure I wanted to attend. So, you know, that transition period being someone, an applicant to a college, right, that period went on for a little bit of time, right? So the change happened, which was the decision to apply to colleges, and then the act of applying that transition takes a bit of time. It's a time of flux. It's unsettled feelings. And the same could be said for any other kind of transition, new jobs, a move, whether it's expected or anticipated or unanticipated. We got to pay attention to these moments. And believe me, as a high school student um, at that time in my life, I really wasn't paying too much attention. <laughs> I was doing uh, what we talk about, what I talk about in the book. You know, I was, I was just, I had my head down and was trying to get through it, right? Application after application, trying to get through it. And so this idea that you have change, right? And even when I decided, made the decision, got the letter of admission, decided, letter of acceptance, I decided I was going to go there. There's still a transition period, right? Because even when my parents dropped me off in North Carolina and I started my college journey, like Daniel in Karate Kid, I was physically in North Carolina. My stuff was in the dorm room in North Carolina. I was attending classes on the campus in North Carolina, but I was still a little in between betwixt in between, right? I I hadn't I didn't know anybody in North Carolina save for a couple of friends who were also going to the same college. I wasn't familiar with the surroundings, the grocery stores, the the cafeteria on campus, the fields that I was playing on were so different than the fields I played on it in um, high school. A lot of transition is happening. So when I say transitions take time, that's really what I mean. There are physical, emotional, behavioral, spiritual changes, 
right? Adaptations that are happening in these transitions. So in the book and in this podcast, this series of episodes, I I first wanted to talk a little bit about this roadmap that I set out. And I really use uh, five questions, the who, what, where, why, and how of transitions. And I think I've really already covered the who. And the who was just to make the point that doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you live, what kind of job you have, if you're a student, if you're an employee, if you're a parent, if you're an uncle, a brother, a son or daughter, or some other identity in your life, everybody's going through transitions. And if you're sitting there listening to this podcast and saying, nope, not me, then I'm going to tell you that you're not paying a bit of attention (laughs) to what's going on. And perhaps you'll want to pay attention to later episodes when I get into the how of transitions and talk about the framework and how to engage in this work. The second question, what, is just the idea of transitions. And as I said, we're talking about milestones, we're talking about different events in our lives, and then we get to the where. And the where suggests and Bridges reminds us that we must attend to our physiological changes, not just to our physical movements. And this is really what I think the book is getting into, and I try to provide tips and strategies, actions, um, and really mindsets, habits of mind to do this sort of, you know, noticing of the where work. Now, a lot of people ask, why should I even worry about this? Because our knee-jerk reaction to transitions, nothing, take, take a, take a second. Let's pause and think about a transition you're in. Think about a transition you've been in. And pause for a moment and answer this question. When you noticed you were in a transition, what was your immediate response to that transition? And remember, I'm an educator, so I can sit here for a while. What was your immediate response? Normally in these transitions, a couple of things happen. One you start to notice some feelings in your body, right? You're maybe anxious, excited, nervous, uncertain, joyful, then worried, happy, then unsure. It's a it's a mess, a beautiful combination of messiness of <coughs> thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and sometimes behaviors. Maybe you're outwardly grumpy to your your spouse or your significant other, you fuss with your kids when it was just something simple, or you are exuberant and jumping around one minute and, you know, upset the next. So it it manifests in a multitude of ways. The other thing I've noticed, and I'll bet you many of you also notice this, is we have knee-jerk responses to these transitions. And I'm every time I, I share these responses, I think about those monkeys. I think it's monkeys that have the the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, right? The hands over the ears, hands over the face, hands over the mouth. Because what I think is we either ignore it, right? So that means we could be maybe holding, closing our ears and our eyes, ignoring it, hoping it'll go away. We run the other way, hoping if we run fast enough, we can get away from it. Or we run through it, 
because we run and run through it so quickly that it's kind of like ignoring it or feeling it as fast as we can and not dealing with it, right? Regardless of how you respond, you're trying to get away from it in some way. Avoidance, running through it, ignoring it, right? Those are our knee-jerk responses to these moments of transition. And it's really because these transitions, even when they're expected, even when we want them, it elicits some kind of discomfort. Because look, at the end of the day, any transition, expected or unexpected, is a disruption. It could be good disruption. It could be not so good disruption. But it's a transition. It's it's altering event, right? And it's discomfort. It's uncomfortable, right? We like to be maybe a little bit on autopilot. We like to be able to uh, forecast the rhythm of our day, forecast what's coming. We have a good sense of our to-do list and what's going on. And then this thing happens and those things start to go away. So discomfort is created and we as human beings don't love discomfort. And what I'm asking you to do in this book even though it goes against some of our innate human ways, is I'm asking you to dance with the discomfort, not away from it, not quickly through it, but with it. Because what I would posit, and there are lots of researchers out there who would agree with me, is that in these moments of discomfort, those in-between moments of milestones. Think about it for a second. Think about starting high school and graduating high school. Think about getting a new job and taking another new job. Those in-between moments is where you learn the most. The possibilities, think of the possibilities in that swirl of transition. Mesereau, who talks about disorienting dilemmas. Piaget talks about disequilibrium. These learning theorists recognized in their own language, whether they called it disequilibrium or disorienting dilemma or dissonance, they recognized very quickly that from the point of knowing to not knowing to knowing something else, there is a dissonance. There is a discomfort. There is a fogginess, right? There is a grappling with. And then there's this beautiful creation and emergence of new knowledge, right? I mean, look, how many of you have taken on a project Right. And actually, I did it this morning with my kids. We were (coughs) the twins wanted to reorganize their room so that they had a bit more sort of their own space in the bedroom. Well, what happens? You have to first make a mess because you have to start moving things around, take things off of desks and dressers. And we put it all in the middle of the room. You have to start moving things around. And then when you move the furniture around. Right. So that shift well, look up on the walls. 
well, one kid's stuff is on the wall with the other kid's furniture, and then you look on the other side, and that kid's stuffed animals is over there with that kid's furniture. It's still messy. You're in transition. But there are opportunities if you pay attention, if you don't just blow through it and try to get too clean and organized, if you are intentional, if you notice and name what you are doing, you can create and emerge with amazing opportunities. In this case, the metaphor, if we carried it out, was a cool room where both kids are super stoked that they have their own space, right? So what I'm asking you to do is in these moments of transition, in this messiness, to pay attention, to pay attention. The why of these transitions is that there's lots of opportunities. And in the book, I talk a lot about training, right? Like working out and races. And I'd say the why is there's lots of swag available in these moments. And if you've ever done a race or been to a race, swag is like the stuff they give you for participating, right? Shirts, water bottles, nutrition, medals, coupons to things. And like those races, if you pay attention to your transitions, you too can have some swag from these transitions. There are opportunities to do what Parker Palmer says in his book, Courage to Teach, to align the internal and the external, to live an undivided life. Brene Brown calls it wholeheartedness, to show up vulnerable and authentic. Tarana Burke talks about, the, the founder of the Me Too movement, talks about telling our stories, our real stories, the details of our stories, and using them for good as a way of connection and building relationships and learning. And Nick Susanis, the author of Unflattening, talks about this idea of multiple vantage points that offer new ways of seeing and knowing. So during these transitions, we may go in with one perspective. I just want this to be clean and tidy. I'm going to ignore everything else and move through it. If you stopped for a moment and opened yourself up to the possibility of a new vantage point, that that mess might be full of an opportunity, you might see it in a different way. You might learn something new. Who knows what the possibilities might be. In the muddiness and the dissonance of that transition comes great possibility. So how do you do this? And that's really the latter part of the book, right? Dancing with Discomfort, the book, and the moments, unlike those middle school dances, does everybody remember those? Maybe even in high school to some degree, where kids were sort of on the perimeter of the gym waiting for somebody brave enough to dance, right? We're mostly hanging out on the sidelines, feeling awkward, feeling uncomfortable, worried about what other people are thinking. With these transitions, and unlike middle school, what we really needed to do in that moment is just jump all in and embrace it. Dance like no one is paying a bit of attention to you. It's super hard. I get it. But boy, is it worth it. I totally understand that feeling because what I've said many times in a recent presentation I did, I'm a recovering perfectionist, so I totally get it. And and why do I say that? Because if you think about this, this challenge of perfectionism, what is it? Well, perfectionism is this this 
preoccupation with 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 getting it with being right and not making a mistake right it's really more about not making a mistake well this preoccupation often leads to paralysis and i'm sure you've heard this phrase paralysis by analysis right so think about these transitions so you start to notice that there's some discomfort and there's uncertainty and in that uncertainty there may not be a rule book a roadmap, guidance for what to do. And oftentimes individuals and groups just want to know what the next step is. And so for a perfectionist, they are running the other way. Avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. Just can't do it. And that's what happened to me a lot of times. I didn't sign up for things. I didn't try new things. I stayed away from certain groups because I was worried that I would make a mistake. You really have to make a commitment to this work. And you purchase some new training equipment, things like curiosity, a learning mindset, humility, and a really good sense of humor. The other ways that you do this work, and I talk about in the book, is you try to make what I'm calling an attitude adjustment. And I know there are lots of different definitions of attitude. And so I'm talking about attitude in terms of giving yourself grace, being grateful or having gratitude and recognizing your own greatness. And I will talk in much more detail about that later on in another episode. The other thing you really need is to think about your mindsets. And I'll spend hopefully a whole episode on the learning mindset and curiosity. And if you're really interested in this, I, I um, have been a part of another podcast done by NILD with Dr. Kristen Barber. It's called Four Learning Educators. And we've talked a lot about the learning mindset. So you might want to go over there and check that podcast out. Um, but those are the, the habits of mind that you need to do this work. The other thing you need is to learn how to do reflection, both what we call inaction and after action. And this is where the noticing, naming, and navigating these moments come in. You have to pick your head up, look up, get out of the weeds for a second, right? Get out of the, the, the that tree for a second and look at the rest of the forest. Take note of where you are. Pay attention to how you're feeling in your body. Where do I feel that stress? Is it in my shoulders? Where do I feel that joy? Is it in my belly or in my heart? Where do I feel that strength when I'm in that moment? And where do I feel that hurt? Is it in my head, my eyes, my stomach? Where, where are these things? What am I thinking in these moments? What am I telling myself? Remember in a previous episode, I talked about how we need to all learn to do a little self-coaching. And as my friend Jen Lara calls it, scoaching. Because the words we tell ourselves are the most powerful words we hear. And I'll bet you, again, dollars to donuts, that we are our biggest critics. Hands down, we, have to, we are our biggest critics. So paying attention to what we feel, how we behave, what we say to ourselves. And reflection, both during the moment and after the moment, can be really helpful. And I think I shared with you... Um, a story. I think I shared with Danielle Carey and Brianne a story um, when I was giving a presentation <clears throat> that someone had asked me a question. It was a really good question and I didn't have an immediate answer. I had prepped for the presentation. 
sort of anticipated what kind of questions they might ask based on the slides I was sharing. And then someone asked me a, you know, out of left field kind of question, which is great. And what I did was in that moment, I was able to do some in-action reflection. So I paused myself and thought to myself, I don't have an immediate answer. I really need a moment to think this one through. And so I said to the person, can I have a minute to think? Can I take a minute? And the person, of course, being kind and generous said, yeah, definitely. That's the kind of in-action reflection I'm talking about. You, we have to learn that it's okay to take time to, to give a response. It's okay to pay attention to how we're feeling in those moments, to take a moment, to pause, to think. We don't have to give an immediate answer. Brene Brown reminds us that it's much better, better to try to get it right than to be right, right? So take a time, take some time to think about it. And in a future episode, um, I, hopefully I can have Brianne back on because Brianne really helped to write that chapter on reflection. So I'd love to have her on. So really, this was the intro to the book. Um, the intro really provides a roadmap of you know where the rest of the book and the discussion will go. So thinking about the who, what, where, why, and how <clears throat> of transitions. And so in the next few episodes, I'm going to try to unpack those, you know, talk about the who and what, a little bit more about the why. And then there'll be a series of episodes on the how, because really the how involves a variety of strategies that I mentioned, the attitude, mindsets, the critical reflection, and then really getting into the tra training framework. So, so what are the takeaways for today? Um, I would say transitions are universal. They really are. So they can be expected, unexpected, short, long, milestones, good, not so good. They can happen individually, collectively, and I, what I would encourage you to do over the next week and before the next episode is just pay attention to where you are right now in your own life. Are you experiencing a transition? If so, what's it look like? What's it feel like? Where do you think you are in that transition? And why do you think you're at that place? What does it look like? Where are you physically? Where are you mentally? And when you say, I'm feeling a certain way, how does it show up? How does it show up in your body? How does it show up externally? And what are you saying to yourself during that transition? So this week, just name one of your transitions and explore it. Get curious. Ask one more question about that transition and see where it takes you. All right, everybody, I hope this was as much fun for you as it was for me. I'm looking forward to the next several weeks to explore the book and our transitions. And hopefully at the end, we'll all feel a little better about those middle school dances. And, and maybe we will be able to do a little bit of dancing with discomfort instead of away from discomfort. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski. And this week, just lean in and ask one more question and stay curious about your own transitions. All right. Take care, everybody. So sincere under the glaciers of your last
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.